Hello, welcome to Center St. Sister. On Center St. Sister, we might laugh or cry, we might get angry or motivated, we might grieve or celebrate, and sometimes all of those things can happen in the very same episode. We are a community of spiritual searchers who embrace Jesus's example of making a beeline to the hurting. Whether an episode is spiritual in nature, purely educational, or just for fun, my hope is that you finish the episode feeling hopeful. I hope you hear something today that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. There's a parable where Jesus told his disciples that they should always pray and not lose heart. He said this, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will no longer beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So this gospel reading, it's about a judge who didn't fear God and a really persistent widow. And this widow, she had some trouble and she was going to the unrighteous judge to avenge her over and over and over. And he ignored her as long as he could. But one day he had had enough and basically said, fine, here. Very often this parable is misinterpreted because some of the interpreters imply that Jesus's message is that loud and persistent begging will just wear down God's resistance and then cause him to give in to our requests. But That's not true because the judge in the story doesn't symbolize God. He, in fact, symbolizes the very antithesis of God. So this isn't a comparison story, but a contrast. In context, it's important because Jesus, he was talking to his disciples about his return because the chapter, it opens on a conversation between Jesus and his disciples about the coming of his kingdom. And Jesus had been discussing the timing of his return when then he launches into this story with a point. And the point of the story is that Jesus's followers ought to not give up as they await his return. Don't give up as you wait. And we are waiting. There's that large scale waiting for his return. But then there's the personal waiting too, hoping for something specific that might still be out in front. And that in-between place of waiting, it's familiar to all of us, isn't it? We know what it's like to be in that middle place between where we've been and where we want to go. Maybe it's a job or a relationship or a baby or a certain success that you feel you deserve. Maybe it's news from a doctor or a certain healing for a loved one for you or yourself. We've all been waiting in the tarmac of the in-between. And that place of waiting, it can be a restless place. It could be a place of uncertainty and questions sometimes sorrow or fear. And so often our hearts cry in that place of waiting is how long? How long, Lord? Now, I'm convinced that the real problem is not the waiting, but instead it's what happens to our hearts while we wait. Because I don't know about you, but I can so easily return to a familiar wounded place that asks the question, do you love me? Am I worth it? Am I a friend to you at all? Do you care about my life while I'm waiting? I have a really bad habit of rescuing dogs and becoming increasingly unpopular with my family as I do so. Well, the latest dog that I rescued, a puppy, she was cute. Um, She had the bladder the size of a mustard seed. And honestly, the dog peed every seven minutes. So I got into a bind where I had the dog in the car with me, but I really needed to go into the grocery store to get a few things for my kids' lunches because we had no groceries and I couldn't pack their lunches with baker's chocolate. So I left the dog in the car to run into the grocery store. It was a nice day, but I knew that I had a very limited amount of time before she went to the bathroom in my car. And listen, my kids have already turned that SUV into a biohazardous zone. I used to be embarrassed about it, but now I'm like, apocalypse, I got you, boo. 
There's things to start a fire in here. We've got clothes for everyone, blankets, goldfish, protein. Months, I tell you. We could survive for months. Anyway, the point is, I can't have one more mammal doing as they please in my car. So I was in a hurry. So I rushed in and I got the six things that I needed. I went to the express lane and I got behind the woman who did not, in fact, have 15 things. She had 21 things. And yes, I counted. And she was paying with a check in the express lane. So I arranged my body in just the right way to let everyone know, passive aggressively, of course, that I was in a hurry and then no one could find a pen. And so I sighed. And then I disguised it as a cough when it became too obvious that I was becoming belligerent. But then I noticed that she was wearing socks with her sandals. And I think any other time, this might have endeared me to her. You know, aw. But in this instance, I was completely questioning her, obviously her fashion choices, but her goodwill, her good nature, her good character. And why? Because she was making me wait. And this is my point. If this is how we respond to people who make us wait in line, what is it that happens to our hearts when God makes us wait for something we really, really want and feel that we deserve? Because after all, we're decent people. Here's another one, maybe a little more sinister. I went to school in Texas, Texas A&M University, and I was in a sorority and all of my friends were engaged my senior year, ring by spring. And I knew I knew in my bones that that wasn't my story, but I really, really wished that it was. I wanted a love story too. But what I noticed during that time of waiting for the love story that God had for me, waiting very much by myself, was that I was experiencing this grim thrill at rolling my eyes at love. Looking around and seeing the many, many people in love it made me angry. It made me negative. It made me mean. I definitely was not waiting without losing hope. I definitely was not waiting in a prayerful way. And during God's silent moments, we can decide to wait and trust that if God isn't rushing to heal, then there must be something to gain from the hurt. And we can trust that even if God is slow in coming, he is still coming. We might not know when or in what way, and he might look different than we thought when he shows up. I watched this documentary about penguins a few years back. I remember specifically because I was pregnant and I bawled throughout the whole thing at what miserable lives penguins lead. It went like this. So penguins, they live in this enormous group. There are like hundreds of them. And together they swim and they swim and they swim really far north, like as far as they can until they hit ice. And then they jump out of the water one by one onto the ice. And then they slide on their bellies for like days. And I don't, mean to make this sound like a swift process because they don't really have arms or, or legs. They just have their little wings. It's terrible. And after a while, they stop sliding. And then they, they get around in, in this big circle and they start to make noises looking for a mate. It's crazy. It's like a penguin rave or something. And then the female, she lays an egg and she does this standing up, the egg. It rests on her feet. And then she very carefully, she transfers the egg to the male's feet. And then she bolts. The females go back to the ocean to go fishing while the men just sit on their egg, keep it warm. The males just sit there and they wait and they gather around in this ginormous circle to keep each other warm, keep their egg warm, and they wait. And they don't know how long they're going to wait, but I do because I watched the documentary. You know, they do this for one whole month. They just sit on that egg. And you know what they're supposed to do? Just don't drop the egg. That's it. You know what else they do? They take care of each other. They bring each other into the middle when it's too cold for the ones on the outside. They take turns. And then the females come back. And right when they do, almost to the day, the egg hatches. And you might be wondering what in Moses' name this has to do with anything. And, and I maybe kind of am too. But listen, I guess I just feel like maybe when I'm waiting for something, I'm supposed to be one of those penguins, the boy ones. Because they seemed to just have this gut instinct that everything was going to be okay. They just hung in there. I don't know if they prayed, but they didn't lose heart. And I know that while waiting, I'm supposed to just stay put and keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Look for people colder than me. Admit when it's my turn to be in the center. And I suppose that we could sit around and guess about why God makes us wait. We could do that. We could speculate. 
but I think it would just make us crazy. I think we'd go crazy trying to explain the workings of God or the ways of penguins. It's all just a beautiful mystery. Sometimes God delays his blessings to examine what's in our hearts. He waits on purpose. And sometimes it's just for his glory. But it is never that he doesn't want to bless us. He's after a purpose greater than our immediate blessings. He doesn't want to just fix our problems. He wants to transform us in the process. He wants us to resemble his son. And that's likely to take a minute. Hello, Claire McAllen. How are you? Hi, Allison. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, so I am wondering if you feel like I do and that maybe we should just live our lives this way, airing our conversations, because I think that maybe the world might be um, a better place, and I would certainly be happier if everyone, the whole world, were privy to what happens when we talk. I am so glad that you're here, and I love you so much. (laughs) I love you, too, and it's so fitting that I'm taking this call on my bedroom floor because that's where I always take all of your calls, so everyone's getting this really, like, personal view at our relationship where I'm always, like, sitting on the floor, like, tell me more. Yes. Isn't that just true? It's like you have front door friends, you have foyer friends, you have kitchen friends, and then you have, like, on my bedroom floor friends. I love that so much. So I love you for a jillion reasons, and I'm going to go through some practical stuff first, okay? Um... You are so easy to be around, Claire, because you genuinely love people. Like you invest in people's lives with the most thoughtful questions and you truly care about their hurts and their successes. You celebrate joys, you grieve losses, and you always have this very thought-provoking commentary and you do it somehow without being invasive or like being a know-it-all, which I would imagine is really hard to do because there really is so much that you understand about life. Um, So people just feel so well accompanied in your presence. Um, Another thing that I love about you is that you're really humble and introspective. So yes, you understand a lot about life, but you um, are always willing to do a lot of hard work around growing or seeing things more clearly. And it takes a lot of humility to be curious. Um, but it also takes commitment because you are not afraid of discomfort like you or, or your knee jerks. Like you will examine that and then you will push through whatever is uncomfortable in order to be just a constantly growing person. Um, so not only do people feel well accompanied in your presence, but like they're also along for a ride. Like we're going to grow together. We're going to get better together. Um, I could certainly go on forever, but I am just going to say one more. Um, You are, (laughs) you're so much fun to be around because you delight in small things. Like you are constantly living your life, looking for beauty. You just have this owl-eyed wonder about you that makes you look around and you find what you're looking for. You are constantly finding beauty in small things and to be, um, just connected to you while you walk this earth is the most beautiful experience because you're pointing out things that other people may have missed. I just think the world of you and I'm so glad that you're here. I really appreciate that. I know this is not anticipated because I didn't know you were going to say all those nice things. But when I think of you, Allison, I think of um, you're like a, you're a beacon of hope for me because seeing you and your life and what you've insisted upon your life being like and like the level the standard of just like goodness and holiness and like family all these things that you have fought for for yourself over the course of your lifetime is proof to me that it's possible for me and Mm. I don't know that I had that before I met you and then a couple Mm. of our other friends we met around the same time it's like Mm. definitive proof that my suspicion was right that these things are possible so Mm. it's really really special for me to have you in my life Uh, and thank you thank you so much um you know it's interesting like the people that you feel connected to, but I feel like I know you on just this heavenly level. Like you are so good for my nervous system. I just, I adore you. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, so when you and I were in Nashville together, um, you and I both know so many amazing women on multidimensional levels, just amazing women. And we were talking about how so many women that we know and love are single. And it feels like this epidemic. And so as we were talking about this together, somewhat grieving it, really, not that singleness is, is a, is a terrible thing, but when you're yearning for something different, there's, there's a difference of expectation there and that's to be dealt with. And so we're talking about this together and you started rattling off a list of your ideas about 
what's going on in our culture? And I stopped and was like, don't even say anymore because this is an episode. Like I want to experience this firsthand in depth on air because this is all so thoughtful. So I would like to pick your brain just a little bit about what is going on with our dating culture and the things that we might be up against, the ways things have changed. There's so many things going on. Is this okay with you, Claire? We have not talked much about this. (laughs) Okay. I love it. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. So in one way, I feel like dating, it's kind of, it's overly discussed because we're so hyper-focused as a culture on romantic love. You know, it's like this end all be all, you know? And, um, and then in another way, I feel like it can really be poorly analyzed, especially maybe in Christian conservative, like Christian cultures, because it's like, no, don't do that. Like, no, you're not allowed to do that. And then it goes from like that to, and let's get married. And so dating is kind of like bypassed in a way. And so in one way, it's like it's we, it's we obsess about it. We're talking about it all the time. And then in another way, it's like we're not doing that well. You know, um, what are your thoughts on kind of those two things maybe existing at the same time? Or do you even agree that that's a problem? Yeah, it's I totally agree. We're talking a lot and not saying much. And I think let's just take this from a Christian perspective. I think we're taking it from this really like mushy, gushy, flowery language, saying words that don't mean anything emotional, Mm. and yet somehow suspiciously, suspiciously hedonistic standpoint where it's all about like, doing like what feels good in a way that's different than the mainstream culture, but it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's all feelings. And for me personally, I think that the best way to understand what's happening in our culture, our larger culture with dating, and also in our little myopic uh, space, uh, I think you need to take an economic look at it and just look at the numbers and just look at the facts because there's a lot of, like I said, flowery language and words being said that don't mean much. But to me, it's a little bit more numbers and just taking an honest look at like who is in our churches, who are the young people in our churches, who are the single young people in our churches. Like we're not keeping people in reality and we preach a lot about goodness, truth and beauty. But a big part of allowing people to have access to the truth is encouraging them to live in reality. And we look in our churches right now, right? Like the numbers aren't there. Go into a Catholic church and tell me that you see the same amounts of young single women and young single men. That's not true. It's not there. And the men that are there, are they eligible to the same level that the women are? Really uncomfortable conversations that people don't want to have. But if we don't have it, young women especially are going to realize too late what happened. Okay. Okay. That, so that's huge. Okay. So that's, mm-hmm. that's what, that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing. Well how let's get underneath that problem. Why? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah, of course. It's a great question. And I think you do have to go to the root of these things. I think that there are a couple things that happened and this is where it's going to get into this really spiritual level. Cause I am a contributor for NBC on these topics, but it's such a treat to be here with you because I can present the full reality, which is that I think that there was a very clever spiritual attack by the devil on our young men. Uh, and if I was the devil and I wanted to attack women, I would first weaken the men and I would weaken the family unit by weakening the men. And I think a really clever way to do it is it's really hard to fight strong men. It's really easy to attack little boys that were just kids and innocent. And that has happened through pornography. And I look at my generation, I just turned 29 and we were in this really awful spot. And I think like the worst like um gap the worst lack of men is right in my age group in the catholic church and i think that's because those are the ones who are the most unsupervised on the internet at the most important time because i meet gen z young men who have a much better hold on pornography's role in their life because their parents had a little bit more of a fighting chance to control it. They had more information. So even though those kids always have a device in their hand, if you had a parent that wanted to save you from it, they knew how. Whereas for me in like 1999, they didn't have that equipment yet. They didn't have Covenant Eyes and all these other programs. They didn't know internet safety for their kids. So I think there was pornography, which was attack on the young men, especially my age. And then video games. Personally, I think that we need to 
make a synapse between video games and pornography a little bit more than we do. And I know that's very triggering for people. People love video games. I'm not here to totally attack it. I'm just suggesting that maybe in the same way that pornography allows men to cosplay sexuality and human connection, video games allows them to faux fight for something. And yeah. have the illusion yeah. of accomplishing of an experience. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Wow. And they've basically outsourced their masculinity to these hollow, hyperpalatable substitutes. So I look at pornography. I look at video games. Obviously, there's hookup culture, which is such a buzzword, but it's a cliche because it's true. We have desensitized each other, men and women, and I think um, undermined our ability to pair bond. We're dealing with something called the uh, paradox of choice, which I, do you mind if I share real quick? This no, is going to get really, please. really mathy, really no, economics. Yes. Keep and going. this is not just uh, in the Christian and Catholic world, by the way. There, I own entire books. There have been lots of studies. People are noticing this. Like, why aren't young people pairing? So they actually did the relevant study. I believe it was a Stanford study in a grocery store, which, you know, shopping for food can be a little bit like shopping for a partner. And they had, let's say a woman go in and she knows she needs to buy jam for dinner for her family that night. She comes into the store and what they've done is they've put out 24 jams. She knows she needs grape jam. She goes in now and there's jalapeno and there's pear and there's all of these flavors. And now she's second guessing herself. She's overwhelmed with choice. And this is going to relate to a lot of people's experience at home because who of us haven't gone to the grocery store and been like, oh, but should I get the, the, the low fat, the spice, low spice? What do Didn't I do? Didn't even know that existed. Didn't now I need existed. to try. Now it. Yes, exactly. And then you get home and you're like, what did I think I was going to use pickle juice for? Right? Like I went in yeah. for pasta. Uh, so people would go in and they would be completely overwhelmed with these 24 jams and they were not only more likely to make the wrong decision. So she knew she needed grape and she left with jalapeno and now her recipe at home is going to be no good. Not only were they more likely to make the wrong decision, they were way less likely to make a decision at all. So she's there. She's looking at 24 jams. She has more access to any and every type of jam than all of her mothers and grandmothers and great grandmas before her. And she leaves without jam. Analysis jam. leads to paralysis. Yes, exactly. She needs jam and she's like, I can't do it. And she goes home. Same lady comes in, right? She sees six jams. She's like, oh, there's my jelly. And she leaves and she gets home and she gets to eat and she's so happy. She has a great meal. And that is the difference in a lot of ways between when people say, why can't I have what my grandparents had? Because your grandma grew up in Springfield. doesn't matter which state. Your grandma grew up in Springfield. And she was allowed to marry Bob or John. And she said, I like Bob. And then they just made a choice for each other for the rest of their lives. And you grew up thinking that that was the pinnacle of romance. And now you're trying to find Bob among John, Jim, Harry, Dave, Christopher, and you're totally confused and you're way more likely to make the wrong choice or no choice at all. Okay. So now this is related to technology as well, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the three like major things that you've mentioned, um, are all related to this really quickly growing field where it's like our culture hasn't quite adapted, right? Right. And yeah, I guess I didn't explicitly say it, but you got it on the nose that that last paradox of choice is going to happen through the form of dating apps, which is where you right. get this idea that the next one's going to be better than the one you just had in front just of you. Just the exposure. You're just yeah, exposed I mean, to. And I'm a little bit biased and I'm not trying to impose my Luddite views on any of your viewers. I am pretty anti-technology in general. And I know I'm calling you on an iPhone today, but I don't think that there's ever been a time that we've outsourced the human experience yeah. to technology and things have gotten right. better for us. And yet yeah. we continue to opt into it. Yeah. No, it's interesting. You try to quit social media all the time. And I'm like, Claire, mm -hmm. this is something you're going to need to make peace with. This mm -hmm. is your work. And you're like, fine. Yeah. I mean, so that is true. I can verify that that you're yes. always trying to. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so that's a lot. Mm -hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't ask if you had any solutions because I you bring up this problem and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. And I don't see any technology is here to stay. Claire, social media is not going anywhere. So like, what is, do you have any ideas around these things that are moving so quickly? Yeah, I would say you have to have the courage 
and the discipline to make a choice against outsourcing your humanity and your romance. And what that looks like, practically speaking, is striking up conversation with someone at the grocery store or on the train. Little ways that technology gets in the way of our human connection. Having our headphones in on the train, you're never gonna, you're not even gonna know that the boy's smiling at you. You're never gonna have a chance to tell the girl that you like her shoes and make a little bid for human connection there. You have to have the courage to unplug, which can feel extremely vulnerable in the modern age. Because I think a big part of the reason that keeps people from making these very human choices and saying no to these other avenues is because everyone else is doing it. Isn't that so dumb? But it's just the truth. Like I'm on dating apps, not not me, sorry, this is just an example, but people being like, I, I hear it all the time. Girls are like, well, I'm on dating apps because that's where everyone is. That's where you meet people. I'd love to go meet a guy in person, but they're all on dating apps. Yeah, but they have to go grocery shopping too. Talk to them there. Um, pornography and video games, we need, it's an everyone problem, but specifically young men to make a courageous, disciplined decision against it. And I think that they'll find that once they stop perverting their passions towards these bastardizations of masculinity, they'll have no choice but to redirect it into their real life. And their sexual exactly. energy and their urge to protect will be redirected into their real life. And they'll find their masculinity be much more potent in their real life interactions. So brilliant. So this is kind of a silly side example, but I think mm -hmm. it relates. You know, there's so many teenagers these days that are putting off um, getting their driver's license. On the last ap episode I just did, we were talking about how in some ways kids are growing up faster because of mm -hmm. all that they're exposed to. But then in other ways, they're growing up much slower mm -hmm. because of um, the things that they're choosing to um, excuse themselves from, you know, they're not mm -hmm. getting their driver's license. They're not leaving home. They're not getting married. And so if you take the driver's license example, there's no need, there's no need for me. It was a hunk of freedom since, you know, sitting in the, in park in the driveway. And for them, the freedom is right here on my, on my device. And so I don't need the hunk of freedom to go be with my friends because I'm already with my friends. And so what you're saying is if you would just put down the phone and get your driver's license and go out and have an actual experience that's not through a lens, then we can re-engage our humanity and maybe start to move things a little bit faster because... Go ahead. In interesting thing with Gen Z is, did you know that they're having less sex than like the last previous four generations? Right. So everything's down. Like Everything's um, down. We, and the reason that I, this just came up is because I was just talking to a, a parenting expert and we were specifically talking about teens. Everything's down. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's happening in other mm -hmm. ways. It's dulling their passions. Right, right. Whether it's a passion for freedom or even yeah, something. And yeah. it's, I don't think you and I aren't advocating that teenagers go out and do drugs and have sex, but they're not taking risks. And that's right. really not preparing them for the future. So even when we look at our teens, like asking someone to the dance by text, that's really, really bad omen because they're not learning how to handle rejection in person, which weakens them, cheapens their experience. And I would argue makes them more dangerous, especially our young men going forward, because we see a lot of unstable, kind of that incel vibe growing. Yeah. And these yeah. are men who didn't learn how to make a healthy connection with the rejection. And we need young boys to get shot down in person at 12 years wow. old. So that oh my gosh, 18, 20 years old at the bar asking a girl to buy a drink or if he can buy her a drink. And she says, no, he says, okay, because he did it when he was 12 and he found out it wasn't that bad. Oh my goodness. That is just mind boggling. You know, I feel like um, there are secular ways of thinking about all of this, you know, whether it's dating or marriage or sex, relationships, whatever. And and th so there are Christian ways of thinking about these things. There are secular ways of thinking about these things. And sometimes there's overlap and then sometimes it's worlds apart. Um, but I, I feel like there are so many things happening in our culture. You know, the biggest challenge perhaps is technology, but there are so many things um, happening in our culture that our Christian culture is impacted by these, these secular things, the things that are going on elsewhere. And so um, I feel like as Christians, we might have really good intentions about how we want to enter all of things, but yet this impact is really taking over and we're not even seeing it as um, you know, secular versus Christian as much as it is. It's just the way that it's done. It's just the way that it is. And so if you could make it really tangible, um, because you said, you know, if, if 
you know, getting away from our technology and actually entering into what are, can we be real, can we be more specific about entering into our daily lives? I mean, I know that you're talking about being on a train and complimenting someone's shoes, but are there maybe three to five things that you could give young people as pointers of let's try this instead? Yeah, there's a couple things. Probably my big controversial one for young women is, as I referenced at the beginning, the numbers aren't there. I think there's yeah. a real chance that God is asking a certain like emotional, social martyrdom from the young women of our generation because whether or not they're coming to terms with it, there are not enough young Catholic men to go around. Yeah. There's just not. And if you're only ever looking for the guy who's in the pew at daily mass with you, like there's, there's not enough to go around and they're maybe starting to realize it in their little microcosms of being like, why aren't there any cute boys at church? But as someone who travels to churches and universities for a living, like they're not there period, especially the guys who you're considering as eligible from like a social skills standpoint, jobs, et cetera. It's not there. And if there are boys there, they're not operating on the same level as the young women. And I know that's going to be upsetting to people. It's just the reality. Young men were attacked in a different way. And we're just going to really get into it today, Allison. The boys who stayed in the church past 18 years old tend to be the boys that, I don't want to phrase this, a lot of times, okay, if you were a teenage boy and somebody told you that you couldn't have sex, would you stay? And would you stay in this church? A lot of times, the ones that left were the ones that knew they could have sex. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, I see. And where the you're ones going with that this. opted into purity were a lot of times going to be the ones that would have had chastity opted upon them. Okay. I know that's uncomfortable. It's also the reality. I think these things are better just said. Yeah. Whereas you had a lot of girls who could be going around dating anyone, sleeping with anyone, choosing to stay on principle. I'm just telling you what I see, not in my community, all over. The point of all okay, of this is Okay, but girls want to say, have sex too. So I agree. Why? But they're staying in a way that the boys didn't. The boys mm-hmm. are way more likely to start circling back and being like, maybe I need God, maybe I need family in their early 30s. The girls stay right. through their 20s and now they're super uncomfortable. So there are two things right, that could happen right, there. Right, right. The girls can white knuckle it into their 30s. No problem. That's clearly what I'm doing. Um, and wait for the boys to come back. Or you can give a chance to someone who is not in the pew next to you and you can invite them in. Okay. Yeah. Numbers wise, it's not in the pews as it is right now. So yeah. you can say, fine, if he's not already in the pew on daily mass, I don't want him. You can white knuckle it and hope he comes back. You can lower some of your standards or you can take a risk on someone. And that's super risky. Lord knows yeah. we've done it. Um, okay. So I, practically, so yeah. I know. So the original question was, what are mm-hmm. two or what are two or three things that we can do differently? Okay. So I want to get back to that because yeah, you're this, good. You're this, good. I have a, I have a question about this one idea. So mm-hmm. that said, Claire, do you say yes? This is for you specifically, not necessarily advice. I'm asking you, do you say yes to any and all first date asks? Not if they're creepy, like they make me uncomfortable or I'm not attracted to them. Okay. And then, because then does, if you say, if you give a pretty wide yes to first mm-hmm. date, because I'm, I'm open to taking a chance because my experience has been, I'm going to have to be a little bit more flexible than I intended. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then does that get trickier with date two, three, and four and five? Because now I have opened myself up to something that I didn't know. You, do you see what I'm saying? That like, mm-hmm. so now I've invited something that I didn't think I was going to potentially be open to, but because of necessity, I've had to consider. And so now date two, three, and four get a little trickier because now I get feelings get involved. And there's this thing that I didn't know I would you know, be willing to compromise on. And I like this person, but I didn't see it going this way. If I go on 10 first dates, I go on one or two second dates. Okay, so that, that helps, the majority yeah. of times there's not feelings getting involved. 
I give chances to the guys who aren't already in the pews. I find a lot of times that they have really important characteristics that I'm not seeing in the church guys. Yeah. Um, in the way that they carry themselves, um, some qualities of ambition that I really like, just sort of in a social ability, things that really matter to me. And a lot of times they've found ways to access virtue in their own. And I give them the opportunity to join me if they want to without mm-hmm. compromising any of my standards on chastity or like, I'm going to mass. Will you come with me? Et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, of course I've gotten into those situations. Absolutely. Notably a little while ago, badly. And I let myself get too emotionally into it with the wrong person who didn't have mm-hmm. the qualities I needed. Mm-hmm. I really thought that he did when I got involved. Everybody did. I asked yeah. my dad, yeah. I asked my priest, everyone said, yes, go for it. And then yeah. it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. But I'm also really proud of myself for trying mm-hmm. and dating for me. This is not what I wanted. This is not what anyone wanted. Nobody wants to be knocking on 30 store being like, uh Oh, but I feel like I've gotten a lot of good from it personally. It's not the journey I probably would have chosen for myself, but I feel very confident and poised because I've had to be confident and poised in a lot of situations And I've learned how to say no to things. I've also learned how to say yes to things, which I think a lot of times young Catholic women aren't given permission to do. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So back to the original things that we Mm -hmm. might have to think about differently. Um, If that was one, do you have any more, any more thoughts on that or do you want to move on? Um, Yeah. I would say giving people a chance is my number one. Um, Yeah, I guess my making contact with people in person is a big Mm -hmm. deal for young women. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's all I have for them practically right now. Um, So in mass transit, taking out headphones. Taking out your Um. headphones. Yeah, seriously, take your headphones out. Engage. A lot of times with men as well, it's the current like sociopolitical climate that we have. The men are, listen, you got away with a lot of bad stuff for a long time. And there was a reckoning that had to happen, and rightfully so. However, young man, young men are more scared to approach women than mm-hmm. ever. And it's mm-hmm. not just the fact that pornography is messing with their minds. It's also this serious fear. It's the good guys who are so scared of coming across creepy. And that's yeah. really too bad because the bad guys yeah. will still be creepy. The creepy ones don't know they're creepy or they don't care. There are a lot of good guys out there who don't want to make women uncomfortable because they've been listening to women, but now they are going way too gentle. And for that reason, I think that girls need to do what our grandmothers would have described as dropping the handkerchief. Mm -hmm. So that's like when your grandma would walk by the cute boy and she would drop her handkerchief very much on purpose. And he would be like, oh man, is this yours? And she'd go, did I drop that? And now he has permission to talk to you. So I think our young women need to take a page from their grandmothers and start giving men permission. And on public transportation, if there's a cute guy, you might need to be the one who smiles with their teeth and says hello, compliment his shoes, et cetera. You need to give them that permission. I'm not saying that the woman should pursue the man. I'm just saying that they need a, the good guys need a little permission right now. Yeah. You're saying that the, that the men who are listening, um, need a, a sign that it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Fascinating point. Okay. So I feel like, um, and you know, the secular culture, it's like sex and dating are synonymous. These things go together. And the assumption is that couples who are dating are having sex. Um, and so dating used to be this means to an end. It used to be <laughs> dating is how you be intimate. It, it, and, and intimacy meant sex and it meant marriage and a thickening of, of relationship. And today it's dating is just an end in and of itself. So I, so again, this fusion, you know, our hookup culture is, I guess, you know, what we're calling that fusion. But um, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's kind of a new thing that society is joining these two things together without a whole lot of pushback. You know, it's what's expected, you know, even um, something uh, like porn. It's what it's kind of what's expected. That's the expectation. Um, how or, or even what about this? Like that that sex is really just an appetite, you know, something as simple as being hungry or thirsty. And so um, 
as we eat and drink and procreate or just, you know, scratch an itch or whatever without these moral implications that go into our sexuality, um, it's really just some meaningless bodily function. How, what would you say to young people that are absorbing messages, even if they aren't intending to, um, that, that sex is meaningless and is just a function and has no, is morally neutral? In many, many highly contentious topics right now, there is, I would say, a reclamation of language happening. And one not super contentious one that we can focus on is, bear with me on this, manifestation. All the hot girls want to manifest, right? Which is so funny because to me, manifesting is repackaging prayer in a way that you think is hot and cool and comfortable and doesn't bring you back to whatever maybe like negative experience you had in a church yeah. as a child yeah. or a lot of people who pretend they had negative churches and child in negative experiences in churches as a child because they're bandwagoning which I really do believe there are a lot of people a lot of yeah. kids my age who I'm like okay like the fact that I just called myself kid again almost 30 um, <laughs> so people right now it's cool to be spiritual you know, you are a hot girl in LA, you're living in Brooklyn, you've got your crystals and your yoga, spiritual is cool. Prayer, Jesus, church, still uncool. Don't know that it was ever cool. I'm still all about it. Still not cool. What we know as purity and chastity is now making its wave through those same spiritual circles, those same girls I went to school with, white girls, suburban girls who now are like claiming to manifest when like we used to pray together, you know? It's they're having this, they're calling it abstinence or like um, intentional abstinence, et cetera. They've mm -hmm. repackaged the language because they're okay. starting to realize it on their own. And yeah. I mean, all the jokes aside about the crystals and the manifestation, I commend those usually young women for searching for something higher and spiritual. Yeah. And yeah. like, I think there's an even better way they can do it. But I was having this conversation with a friend recently where like, I do believe God makes all things good. And he's even going to see some people's well-intentioned. We get really, really triggered around some of these repackagings, but I see a lot of well-intentioned young women striving for yeah. something spiritual. There's this way of happening, especially through Gen Z in these super trendy areas where they're saying, no, I'm not going to have sex with anyone until it's meaningful. It doesn't need to be like, they're not talking about marriage, but they're talking about intentional partnership and not mm -hmm. sharing their body with mm -hmm. just anyone. And at one mm -hmm. night stands, like we said, the sex statistics are going down. It's mm -hmm. we're having this backlash. And I think that Christians should kind of get used to the fact that the like we might not be the savior in this one, but we can work together with people who are recognizing eternal truths for what they are mm -hmm. outside of our paradigm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I would say actually take heart on hookup culture. I think that honestly, and everyone thinks I'm crazy because the numbers do not support what I'm saying. I think dating apps are going to die. I really, mm. really do. It's not sustainable. It's bloated. Everyone's so done with it. I don't think they're going to be cool. Yeah. I think they're going to become uncool. Yeah. Everything dies. Everything dies. MySpace died. Facebook died. I think dating apps are going to die. Could they be replaced by something worse? Sure. Maybe it's happened before. Just like Instagram's replaced with TikTok. You know, it's like it could happen like something new. Or or if there are enough of us who are willing to kind of put in some work and have these conversations yeah. across divides, I think that there's the opportunity for the Christians to work with secular culture for some larger aims towards human connection. Yeah, man. Okay. That's what I'm going to be praying for, Claire. You're just the person for it because I feel so far. <laughs> I very rarely feel old on my own show, but like I have not put in the level of thought and analysis that you have into this evolving problem. And I am just, I feel so captivated by every single thing you're saying. And I'm literally going to be praying very specifically for you and your position to lead that. Like, I believe in you to make cultural changes in the church for how we're doing and what's going on and what we're up against and how it continues to change and what we can be hopeful for. Um, another one of my very favorite things about you, Claire. 
is your creativity. I feel like our creative souls are tied to this flesh and blood body and you move about this world with such creative intentionality. Um, that your creativity is like love. It's just how you love the people around you. You can't help but do it. Um, and in that love, it has both um, a horizontal orientation because it connects us to one another. We're, we create for each other. And then there's also this vertical connection because um, we are created by a creator who loves our creativity. Um, I am dying to know the details of what you've been doing creatively lately. I know that it is, it's so much and you're overwhelmed right now and you're living thin because you're creative in so many different ways. But, um, what can you tell us about what's new for you? Thank you. Yeah. So a lot's been going on. Um, I have a book (laughs) coming out with Ave Maria Press in the spring, which will be about art and Catholicism, especially from the perspective of what I've done here, where I'm calling you from, St. Joseph's Home for Artisans in the North End of Boston, which is a, an art, a like Catholic art residency program that was started a little over two years ago. We bring in painters, musicians, uh, I don't know, dancers, writers, printmakers, iconographers, every type of young Catholic artist into the space. We converted an old convent. That's why the bedrooms are so small and there's no closets because nuns only have one outfit. <laughs> and we've had in the course of the last just over two years, I think around 40 people come live and create here. We have an in-house chapel with the true presence. And so the book that I have coming out with Ave kind of tells the story of how we did that, how I, mm-hmm. you know, was managed to carve out a little spot for myself as a young Catholic artist, why it matters. We draw it back to the saints, um, the word of God, papal documents, a lot of JP2, a lot of great stuff, some Chesterton, some C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. So I'm really yeah. excited to get that project out. But even more recently, we just wrapped actually this morning on my TV show with Catholic TV. I got my own TV show. What? (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm going to pretend to Uh, know nothing. What? (laughs) The show is called The Renaissance Room. It's really cool. We've got this like black box studio with easels and instruments, a tailor's dummy. And we bring in a lot of my personal friends. So a lot of musicians, clothing designers, visual artists, performers. And I get to speak with them about the transcendentals, about the difficult parts about being a young Catholic artist, about the really exciting parts. We give a lot of encouragement to those watching at home. And then we feature their performances and their designs, etc. So it's really fun. We just wrapped. It was a very intense week. We only had five days to film the whole thing. So I am very much still coming down, but I'm really excited and it'll be out in October. I'm so excited for you. Um, what were, do you have, what were some of your favorite parts? What were the challenges Mm. and what were your favorite parts? Um, specifically the show. Yeah. Uh, writing it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And you'll see at the end of every episode, there's a little surprise um, that I, I surprised my guests with something at the end of every episode. So that's a lot of fun. Writing it was fun. Uh, getting to wardrobe my own show was super fun. I know you'd feel yeah. the same way, yes. but that was really exciting. Um, the organizational aspect, because I am, you know, the host, the writer, and also a co-producer on the show, which it's really exciting to get that experience and get that credit. But the organizational yeah. aspect is really hard. Booking mm. guests, um, yeah. all of the logistics. And I know you and I have spoken about this as well, where we're both creatives who yeah. get pushed into administrative roles sometimes mm-hmm. because there isn't like you know, all of the support team. So that was pretty hard. They're long days. They're really long days. And yeah. it's a lot of like hot lights. I know you know all of this too, but it's being on for that long is really exhausting. And you're not yeah. just on when the camera's on, like you are the mascot for the entire production. So you're on sure. keeping morale for the crew and cameramen, for all of your guests. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is fun to kind of draw people back to um, their their passions is asking the question. Well, there's a couple of questions, really. One of them is, what did you want to do when you were little before, you know, somebody told you you weren't any good at it or before somebody told you it didn't matter or whatever? Um, or, you, or you saw somebody that you thought could do it better, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one is, for what will you lose sleep 
like happily? Will you, for, will you lose track of time and realize um, with a startle that, oh my gosh, it's 3am for what will you forget to eat? Did making this feel like that for you? Did you feel like you were like sprinting in your lane? Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, my whole life has felt like that recently. And it's just an absolute honor to be able to sacrifice for this as it has been for the last six years before it started to get on the more glamorous side. I have said for a while now that uh, up till current times, uh, my art and creative pursuits have been the great love of my life. And being in this craftsman role in the image of our creator as you reference has really helped me to understand God a lot more. Mm. It's also helped me understand spousal and romantic love in a way that I haven't Mm. had access to in Mm. my personal life, but I understand what it means to want to put something or someone before you and to Mm. sacrifice for it. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. It has to be beyond good enough. It has to be a gift. It gets everything. It keeps me up at night. It's all I think about anything will get sacrificed for it. Like there's no price that's too high and it's a lifetime thing. I know that. And it feels very romantic probably for those reasons. And when I'm spending time doing it, the hours just pass away and it's, it's everything. And you're with that object of your affections and you can't believe you get to be there. And it's all just humble gift. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's easy. It just means that it's, it's work worth doing. It's work. It's hard work, but it's work that matters. And it's very much that old cliche of like, it doesn't get easier. You just get stronger. Like Mm -hmm. nothing's getting easier. If anything, the tasks at hand are getting much harder. I've recently taken a position at the Christian channel and started doing their um, celebrity interviews, Mm -hmm. which is really hard. And my first one ever, I goofed on pretty bad. My guest also wasn't super well behaved, didn't get aired. But I also allowed myself to sort of step out of my power and my confidence and get totally flustered. Mm -hmm. And I could have done something with it. When the person started to attack me, I could have done something with it and I could have had a moment and I didn't. And that's okay. What is better than getting the opportunity to fail first and learn? And that's how I know that I love this because I had a bad day that day. And I was like, wow, what an opportunity. Now I know more. Now it won't happen again. And I was able to tell people about it and process it. And then just a few days ago, I had my next one. I interviewed Laura Linney um, from the Ozarks. And she has a new movie coming out. And it went so well. And she was like, these are great questions. And they emailed me afterwards. I said, Laura loved speaking with you. I was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm really, really doing it. But it's hard. The stakes just keep getting higher. Which is why yeah. I'm so glad because at the beginning of my career, I was like, when's, when am I going to get big opportunities? I was not ready for big opportunities yet, even though yeah. I was sworn to you that I was. Yes, And just right. now, finally, I'm ready for big opportunities because I had so many small ones, failed at so many small ones, failed at my first big one, and now I'm ready. Mm. I, and you've been so faithful. You know, you have been one of the things that you and I have talked about is just the pacing of all of this. There were so many times that we were kind of shaking our fists together. Of why isn't this moving faster? Or for how long do I have to endure um, the things that you're enduring to just not be specific? But um, mm-hmm. and now it, you have been so faithful and it's so easy to look at. Jesus isn't gently explaining himself over lunch. And it's like there were all of these times that we, he knew, he goes before you and knew that this is what is coming. And Mm -hmm. I, there's, there's no way to explain to you that you're impatient right now, but I'm not, you Mm -hmm. know, and I just, it is so much fun for me. It's a faith builder for me as someone who loves you to watch you sprint right now, because I've, I've prayed for this with you and I'm just, could not be more elated about the crazy things that you text with. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I really because appreciate it's crazy. all the support on the hard days. Yes. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> okay. So where you said October, where, where do we tune in? How are we following along to know the developments? Um, where do we get to see some, some backstage scenes? Because you're so fun. You're such a fun poster. Like you're <laughs> um, one who posts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're such, you're such a fun follow because you're just, you really illuminate a lot of the things that go on behind the scenes and your friends are so exciting and y'all's outfits are great. And (laughs) it's just such an awesome little peek. Um, tell us where to follow along and then so that we can keep up with when it's released and then where to watch once it is. 
Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram. It's where I do most of my posting, even though one of these days, Allison's going to move me to TikTok and I'll be grateful for it. And I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. I should have done this earlier. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram right now at Claire, C-L-A-R-E underscore McAllen, M-C-C-A-L-L-A-N. And if you liked the dating stuff, we hold dating conversations every Thursday, Friday. Uh, you can follow along with the behind the siege for the show. Renaissance Room is going to be on Catholic TV. It airs in like 15 million homes. Maybe yours is one of them. If not, also totally okay. You can get it with your Amazon Fire Stick or your Roku. Or worst case scenario, I believe that we will be accessible online as well. So at catholictv.org or um, I believe on our YouTube channel. Perfect. And then Ave Maria. Your, yes, Ave your Maria Press in the will be releasing my currently untitled book in the spring. Okay. Which you can find online, yeah. We are excited about all your projects, Claire. You have um, such a fan friend in me, and I am just grateful that we get to create together and daydream together. You're such a wonderful, wonderful friend to me, and I love you. Thank you, Allison. I love you, too. Hello, Taylor Schroll. Hi. I'm not Kristen. You are not, indeed. Um, but I'm glad you're here, nonetheless. Thank so. You. You love Claire McCallan. I love Claire I McCallan. We all enjoy Claire McCallan. So I invited her on because we were, um, well, not I can't say commiserating because I'm not dating, but we were going through the reasons that dating is impossible these days. And as she was talking, I was like, hold up, this needs to be documented. And so had her on and it was like this anthropological deep dive into why dating is a dumpster fire. It was fascinating, but I'm going to lighten it up in this little segment, um, what was, cause, cause, okay. So dating now is all like apps, right? Like they're all having to manage technology while dating. So then what you like incorporate AI into the whole thing and it's a bunch of robots just ghosting each other, like left and right. Okay. That's maybe that really sad for the robots. <laughs> <laughs> they're never going to find somebody and settle down. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay. But um, so that's maybe kind of their biggest challenge. What do you feel like was your biggest challenge dating? I think it's the opposite of what like Claire was talking about. Or, like what a lot of my, like people that are still in the dating sphere are doing now. I, I feel like now it's just hard to find somebody. Yeah. For me, it was like narrowing it down. Yes. Because I specifically went to a college where it was a six to one girl to guy ratio. It was yeah. a huge part of the yeah. factors in why I decided yeah. to go to that school. But for me, it was like all the guys that I was friends with, we were all trying to date the same girl. So it's like, oh. who got there first? Oh, like that was, yeah. that was like the biggest trouble of like, ah, he got dibs on yeah. her. And then, cause then if he broke up with her, he had to wait like six months. It's just super weird. So right. it's like the, the, uh, there's a, uh, a lacking of, of people now. And now I feel like there's, oh, Back then, I thought there was a ton of people. We were just like, yeah, who who called dibs? <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. I would say mine was a little similar. Um, I don't know. For me, you it was either no, it was either <laughs> it was like it was the narrow, it, not the narrowing down, because she mentions actually that with technology and that huge exposure of she likens it to going into a grocery store and having you know fifty different jams to choose from. Like she knew she needed jam, but she went in and there were fifty, and now I can't make a choice because there's too many. So I, I think that's an interesting phenomenon when you open it up to the world instead of my school and church yeah, or yeah. you know. Um, but my um, situation was either feast or famine. So it was either no one was asking me out for like three consecutive years. Or there were seven people interested at the same time, and it was very stressful. So it was the- um, Annoying both ways. Yes. <laughs> yes. There was no just like predictability. Um, and maybe that's just it. Like the lack of predictability in dating and being completely unable to have a crystal ball and predict the future is agonizing. I can't believe you were single and not asked out for three years. In your prime. <laughs> so do you want to know why this is interesting? Why? I had a roommate get real honest with me once. Okay. So we had gone to, it was like this country and Western dancing place. And I mean, guys were lined up around the bar to ask her to dance and like zero. Right. So we're walking out to the parking lot and it's kind of quiet, you know? And she says, you know why, don't you? And I'm like, if I know the answer, 
I'm going to be really proud of myself. But I, I don't want to say I know. It it's like, it's I want you it. to whisper it to them first. and then right, <laughs> Close your ears. Okay. Love. RPF. Okay, go. Okay, so she says, you know why, don't you? And I say, I'm like, are we talking about the same thing? Like, oh, you just brought up this elephant in the room. Okay. And so I said, why? And she said, you exude. Leave me alone. I mean, what I said pretty much fits. <laughs> What'd you say? You'll have to listen. <laughs> ah, stop it. Anyways, I just thought that was so enlightening. But the anxiety of a big, loud, crazy bard, that's just not my scene. And so the anxiety of I don't necessarily want to be here. I'm not sure I'm that great of a dancer. Um, that anxiety made me just kind of put out an energy that said, I'm not available. And that was really what college was. It was a lot of big bar hopping, which was never going to be my scene. Yeah. So interesting. Where'd you meet your husband? Um, I had kind of found my groove, Taylor. <laughs> what, I, where did you meet your husband? I met my husband on a military base in an officer's club where I was one of 10 single women with 3,000 fighter pilots it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Let's talk about feast or famine. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining, man. <laughs> totally. And they actually did serenade you like Top Gun when you walked into the place. Took a long time to come back down to that, earth. That's the person, from all your stories, that's the person I pictured. So the three years didn't make yeah, any sense to totally, me. Totally, <laughs> totally. All in all, I'm glad I'm not dating anymore. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Amen. See ya. Bye. I am so, so grateful for you, listener. If you liked this episode, could you please do me a favor and hit subscribe and leave a review? It really helps the show grow and I would be so appreciative. Thank you so much to our guests who share their gifts so generously with us. And a special thank you to Taylor Schroll, who does so much behind the scenes to make the show great. If it weren't for him, I would still be in my closet with my iPhone. You can follow along at Forte Catholic as well. That's Taylor's show where I show up now and again. And to keep up more regularly, please follow along on Instagram at Allison M. Sully or TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. See you next week. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.